So we've been uh, working our way through the, the book of Galatians. That's one thing that we, we do at Hope is, uh, is, is preach through uh, books of the Bible. And so we're, we've been in the book of Galatians uh, by the Apostle Paul. And so, so this book, I mean, we've been focusing on, we've now gone through verse 1 to 10, uh, and, and we're moving on. Uh, but I, I would, before we read the passage for today, I just want to give you a, just a little overview of the, the flow of the whole book, because I think it'll be helpful for you. So really, is six chapters. Chapters 1 to 2 are biography. So the Apostle Paul is, is outlining, who, uh, who am I? Can you trust me? What, what, is, uh, what is my story about? And then from there, he flows into um, doctrine. So what is it that, that you are to believe? And he, he outlines the fact that we're saved not by what we do, but completely and utterly through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And that, so that's chapters 4, uh, 3, and 4. And then 5 and 6 are ethics. It's in light of what he's done in Paul's life and what we're to believe, how are we actually to live as, as believers? And so today, we're actually going to be diving into a long passage of scripture that, that is the, this biography section. And it is interesting, I think that there are actually two different ways to study the Bible. One way is to, to start with uh, just a few verses. You can hone in on, hey, we're going to look at these three words. And another way is that you look at the, the flow of an entire longer passage. And so we, we've already had both in this series, but today is one of the, the longer flows. Uh, so if you, ha- you have a Bible under your chair, um, if, you, if you need that, if you have it with you, open to the book of Galatians. And this is on page 972 uh, in, your, in your pew Bible. Listen as I read. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And when I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and sat before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. 
But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through, through me for my apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also uh, through, or sorry, through him for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, that you truly have worked in lives for uh, all of history, and we thank you for your work in the life of the Apostle Paul, and that we can look at how you brought him from uh, rebellion against you to, to being your servant. And Lord, we pray that you would use this in our lives, our hearts, Lord, to, to turn us as well to you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in our society right now, there's a lot of talk about fake news. People talk about it all the time. Uh, both sides of the aisle, people are concerned. Uh, where, where people will, will just make up an article that maybe looks real, but it's making some sort of outra outrageous claim. And then it will be posted on social media, and the people will begin sharing it. And actually, Peter Murphy here uh, sent me some articles this week that, that showed that apparently fake news will actually spread faster and wider than real news. Uh, because people are, are actually more apt to, to see something that, if, if it lines up in some way with their preconceived notions about the world, they'll say, oh, this must be true, share, and the next person shares, and before you know it, it's viral and going everywhere. Now, this kind of fake news is, is nothing new. It's something that's been around for, for thousands of years. And in a lot of ways, the book of Galatians is also about fake news. Uh, we said that the Apostle Paul evangelized this, this church uh, in, in Galatia, actually a number of churches, part of what is now modern-day Turkey. And, and he preached a message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And, and people repented. They, they saw that they couldn't save themselves. They trusted in Jesus. And then churches were planted, I mean, kind of like this, where people began gathering in the cities of Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. And you can read all about that in the, in the book of Acts. It's the, the history of the, the early church in the New Testament. But then soon after these churches were planted, something happened. These false teachers began to come in. And so they're kind of like the Pied Pipers with the children who just lead all of the the Galatians away. And so they were saying, no, you're not saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, but actually you're saved, yeah, by Jesus, but by Jesus plus good works. So you, you, you believe in Jesus, he's the Messiah, but really if you want to be saved, you want, if you want to go to heaven, you have to 
do good works, and follow the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. And actually, in the book of Acts, we see this great summary of what they taught, Acts 15.1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So that's what they're saying. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Now, we saw last week that, that Paul considered this a counterfeit gospel, that he's kind of like the, the banker who's, who's holding up the, the, the bill to the light to see if he can see the special marks. He's running the pin down the $20 bill saying, is this actually genuine? And he's determining, no, this is not genuine. It's counterfeit. And we saw that back in verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So really what he's saying is the, these false teachers here in Galatia, that they are spreading fake news, that, that they are spreading a message that, that isn't right, um, and that people are actually buying into it, that they are beginning to share this message themselves throughout the, the Galatian churches. And so I think that you know, if Paul were today, he would be reporting them to the fact checker websites or that kind of thing. Uh, and then so the, the Galatians, they, they face this, this, this really difficult conundrum, what do we do, uh, right? Because both sides are accusing each other of, of being fake. And that actually also reminds me a little bit of our time where both sides of the aisle, right, will look at each other's sources and say, oh, that's fake news. And the other side, no, you're spreading fake news. No, you're spreading fake news. And then the accusations are going back and forth, and people don't know exactly what to say and, or what to believe. And this was what was happening in Galatia, where the false teachers were saying to Paul, oh, Paul, you're not a real apostle because you weren't with Jesus for the three years of, your, of his earthly ministry like the other real apostles. Your, your message isn't true because it doesn't line up with what the other people are teaching in Jerusalem. So here are the Galatians trying to de decide. And it almost reminds me of, if you remember the show Monk that was on in the early 2000s, uh, he was this OCD detective and so anytime he was presented with a choice, he, would be, he, he couldn't decide. He would go back and forth. Oh, this one. No, that one. No, this one. And that's exactly what the Galatians are doing as well. And I think that we actually have that same struggle here with Paul as well, where we might say, yeah, I, I like Jesus. I like the New Testament, but I'm not sure about this Paul guy. I've actually seen History Channel documentaries that will say that, well, Paul made up Christianity and really you can't trust him at all, and that his message is different from Jesus, or it's different from the other apostles. And so maybe you're struggling with that as well here today. Can I really trust Paul? Is he a reliable source? And if he's not a reliable source, can I actually trust his, his message? Well, thankfully, Paul doesn't expect us just to rely on, on blind faith alone, that he actually gives us reasons. He's saying, no, my message isn't fake news, that you can trust it. And he does this by, by laying out his credentials for us. That he's like somebody who's filling in his LinkedIn account. He's, he's filling out his ZipRecruiter account saying, this is where I've been, this is what I've done, and this is why you can trust me and you can trust my message. And he does it first by giving us a thesis statement. And so, I mean, for the, for the English professors or, or English people that Paul uses thesis statements, and that's what verse 11 and 12 are. So if you, if you look in your Bible verse 11 and 12, the thesis statement is, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. 
For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So then everything after that, everything that I read, right, all of that kind of complicated, this, not that stuff, is, is really defending this claim. And you'll notice that, that this thesis statement, it has two parts. Uh, so Paul is saying that you can rely on my message because it came from the most reliable source at all. So stated negatively, I didn't get it from any human being. I didn't get it from any man. And then stated positively, I got it directly from Jesus Christ through him, that it has a stamp from Christ. And so for the rest of our time, we'll just look at those two parts of his thesis statement. So we'll look at how we can trust his message because he didn't get it from any man. And then that we, we can trust it because he got it from a revelation of Jesus Christ. So first, we can trust his message because he didn't receive it from any man. And so let's, let's walk through then uh, his, his argument here. So keep your Bible open. We'll just be going section by section through, the, through this passage. So verse 12, we see that he, we can trust his message because he didn't receive it from any man. Um, and he says that, he, that it's not man's gospel. He didn't learn it in some sort of uh, tract. Uh, he didn't read an evangelistic book. He didn't have a conversation with anybody. Uh, he didn't get it from anyone. Now, this, would, this is kind of a hard claim to believe at first for us, I think, where if you were a college professor and one of your students said, oh, yeah, my, this, this footnote here, these, these claims I'm making, I didn't receive this from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You'd, oh, okay. Uh, please, please elaborate how this is actually the case. And please give the reasons uh, for this. And, and thankfully, that's what Paul does. He shows us his, his reasons. So the first thing he shows us is that he, he didn't receive his message from any man before his conversion. So look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul didn't grow up in a Christian home. He wasn't on the right track. He, he wasn't somebody who was, was investigating the claims of Christianity and getting really close. But he was going in the complete, utter opposite direction. That he was actually basically a religious terrorist who wanted to persecute and kill Christians and then he was zealously committed to a sect of Judaism called the Pharisees, who, yeah, they believed in the Old Testament, but it amassed this huge oral tradition that they used to apply every aspect of the Old Testament to life. But really, in doing so, they had missed the teaching of the Old Testament. They had changed it into an entirely new religion, not a religion of, of grace, but a religion of, of works. And so Paul, en engrossed in this system, he, he wouldn't have received the gospel from this, most likely. He, he wasn't getting it from there. So he didn't get it from man before his conversion. But next, notice that he didn't get the gospel from any man directly after his conversion either. Look at verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among, among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, this is kind of the typical Apostle Paul long sentence with a lot of stuff in it. But 
if you were to diagram the sentence, which I'm sure you're all dying to do, so when you get home and you're diagramming the sentence, uh, you'll see that the main clause is in verse 16, where he says that I didn't consult with anyone. Um, so, so Paul's saying that, yeah, when I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, I didn't receive the gospel from man. I got it directly from Jesus Christ. But then immediately after that, I didn't need anyone to explain it or to clarify it or to add to it or to take away from it. And we know from the book of Acts that God actually sent a man named Ananias who, who came to Paul right after he had encountered Christ, encouraged him, uh, baptized him into the church. Uh, but Ananias didn't need to explain the gospel to Paul, that Paul had seen the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. He had encountered Jesus himself, that he was called as an apostle, and he had gotten everything he needed from Jesus. And for that very same reason, he also didn't need to go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the center of Christianity, and so he didn't need to go talk to the other apostles to figure out, wait, who is Jesus? What did he do? What is Christianity about? He didn't need to, to go research those things, that he knew it already. Now, You'll notice that he says he, he went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And we won't spend too long here, uh, but there is a lot of debate among scholars about this Arabian journey of Paul. It's not mentioned in Acts. Uh, but some people think that he may have stay, stayed really close to Damascus where he was actually converted uh, because it was called the Nabataean Empire that stretched all the way from Damascus, if you're looking at a map north of Israel, all the way down into what is now Saudi Arabia. So he could have been very close to home, basically, and still kind of been in Arabia. Uh, but then other people think that maybe he took these three years after his conversion and actually traveled deep into Arabia, into either Saudi Arabia or the Sinai Peninsula. Maybe he preached the gospel to Bedouin tribes, or, or maybe this was a substitute in some way for his, uh, the time that he missed with Jesus. Because you'll remember the other apostles had three years walking with Jesus, learning with Jesus, before they were sent out to preach. And so maybe he was spending time alone in prayer, uh, clarifying, reflecting on the message that he was going to go preach throughout the entire Roman Empire. But really, whatever view you take of that, it's clear that, that Paul didn't receive it from any man, nor was he taught it but he received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So, continuing through our, our passage, we said that Paul, he didn't get the gospel from man before his conversion, directly after his conversion, but then he also didn't get it from any man on his first trip to Jerusalem. And that's what we see in verse 18. He says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So eventually he did go up to Jerusalem, to the, to the center of Christianity, but then when he goes up, he only stays there 15 days, and he sees none of the apostles except James and Peter. Now, Peter, he's the uh, kind of leading apostle. Uh, he was always kind of both the wisest and the dumbest apostle <laughs> with Jesus, um, and, and so, so he, Peter I mean, walked with Jesus for three years, probably knew Jesus better than a lot of other people. Uh, but then also James was the half-brother of Jesus, grew up with Jesus as a, as a child. So, I mean, he also knew Jesus really well during his earthly ministry. So this is, must have been a really incredible experience for Paul. I mean, he's somebody who he's, he's never really been around people who 
knew Jesus for an extended period of time throughout his earthly ministry. But here he is with, with Peter and with James. And I'm sure that he, he loved hearing stories about Jesus. You know, tell me about what Jesus was like as a child. Tell me what it was like to, to be with him throughout his earthly ministry. But as much as I'm sure Paul loved this, he didn't need Peter or James to explain the gospel to him. He didn't need them to add to his gospel, to take away from his gospel. He didn't receive it from them at all during this time. And, and then even so, he was there for 15 days. 15, two weeks, you can get to know somebody, but you're not going to receive extensive theological training. I, I mean, Jonathan, who led our call to worship, knows this from seminary. You know, four years in seminary, and you feel like you're just scratching the surface. So 15 days, not enough time. So he, he didn't receive it from any man during this first visit to Jerusalem. But then also, he didn't learn it from man in his second journey to Jerusalem. And this is in, in chapter 2. And chapter 2 is especially dense. And we're actually going to look at uh, verse 1 to 10 of chapter 2 next week, kind of get into the details of it more. Uh, but for now, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He said, After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So this is probably 14 years after his um, conversion. So there, again, there's, there's debate about it with scholars. Uh, but if, if you take that, then it's, it's actually the same trip that's recorded in the, in the book of Acts, back in the, the histories of the New Testament. So if you turn actually to the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 27, uh, we look at this journey from a different perspective. He said, it says, now in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over the whole world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul, who later would become Paul. So then if you, if you flip back to, to Galatians uh, chapter 2. Now, Paul, he, he's going up to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Part of his purpose is this famine relief. But then another part of his purpose is what he tells us in Galatians verse 2. Uh, he says, let's see, let me turn back here myself. Uh, verse 2, I went up because of a revelation, and that's probably the prophecy of Agabus that's mentioned in Acts, and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, and in order to make sure I was not running in vain. So he, he's going up and he's saying, I'm, I'm not going to correct my gospel, but I want to present it to the other apostles to make sure that we're really on the same page in terms of what Christianity uh, is about. And so he explains the gospel to them, and we see in verse 6 that they added nothing to him, that when he, when he said, this is the gospel that I've been, been teaching, they, they said, yeah, we're going to extend the right hand of fellowship. You're a true apostle. This is the same message of salvation. You're preaching the same Jesus. And we're really excited that you're going to go actually proclaim the gospel among the nations because you received it directly from Christ just as we did. Now, that, that's a lot of details. Um, and so I, I imagine that probably some of you here are thinking, oh, boy, you know, I wish I had stayed home. I had a hard week, and I came here to, to be encouraged in my, in my life. And then here are, are all these details, and here in Arabia, and, and, and going back and forth. And you're thinking, 
I don't really care whether it was 14 years after his conversion or 14 years after his first trip or whether it's Arabia's Nabataean Empire or whether that's this other place. Um, why, why does any of this matter? Because I understand that, that there's, there's a lot of details. But if you, if you think about it, though, that the real, one of the real differences between true news and fake news is actually the, the nitty-gritty details that we don't want to spend a lot of time wrestling through. That really, fake news is what's not concerned with details. Because if you go to your, your Facebook account, and you look, look at a news article, and you're about to share it, and you're thinking, OK, how do I know that this is actually true? Well, think of the steps that you have to follow, to, or how you have to actually think about it and get into, let me look at the details. What's the source? Maybe go read the About Me source on the website of, that has the article. You go and you, you look, oh, are there footnotes? What sources? Who's being quoted? Maybe you even Google it and see, are, is it on any other news sources? Well, then is it on only liberal sources? Is it only on conservative sources? And then from there, if you were a reporter and had an even higher bar, you might go talk to eyewitnesses and try to reconstruct chronology. That, it, it's a lot of very kind of boring, tedious stuff at first. But it's, again, it's the difference between truth and falsehood. And the Bible is about truth. It's about details. It's a, it isn't fake news. And so that, that's an important application for us, I think, as we're reading scripture in general, not just Galatians, that, that we need to, to care deeply about the, the details of scripture. And, and even though they seem boring at first, that, that it can be the difference between recognizing a true gospel and a counterfeit gospel. And so it's really important and really significant for us. Now, just thinking about, about the details here, just let's wrap our minds around what's, what's the argument that's being made. Why is Paul doing this? Well, if, if one person makes a really incredible claim, unbelievable claim, it could be, they could be lying. If two people make a really incredible claim, maybe it's a conspiracy. But if different people in, from different places who never knew each other, didn't have any contact with each other, claim something incredible, okay, well, maybe there's actually something to this. And the apostles here are claiming that they saw, the apostles in Jerusalem, they saw Jesus alive, they saw him die, and then they saw him alive again, that he fulfills the Old Testament and that we're saved through faith in him alone. It's a really bold, audacious claim. And then Paul shows up, they've never met him, they've never spent time with him, he's claiming, I've seen Jesus alive as well, I know that received the same message, I'm saying exactly the same thing as you. And so this itself is this really powerful evidence for the truth of the gospel, if we have eyes to see it. And it hinges on the, the nitty-gritty details, on the nitty-gritty facts. And, and so, like, like the Galatians, we, we should fact-check it. And, and I'm sure that they actually could have gone and asked questions, gone and talked to Peter and, and James, or talked to the Ananias or to the churches in Damascus. And so we see that, that this message... It isn't fake news, and he didn't receive it from any man. But that's only one side of his thesis, remember, that, that he didn't receive it from any man. But in and of itself, that isn't compelling. Because, again, think of yourself as the, the college professor. If, if your student said, I didn't receive this from, a, from Wikipedia. I didn't receive this from The Onion. 
I didn't receive this from Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I didn't receive this from even the best scholarship. I didn't receive this from the most reliable books. I didn't receive it from Harvard or from Yale. I received this from no man but from Jesus Christ. And again, we say, oh, okay, please demonstrate this to us, which is what he does. So in the second section, that we can trust his message because he received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Because if you, if you look back at, at verse 13 and 14, where Paul is talking about his life before he was a Christian, he, is, he's, he makes himself the subject of all of the verbs. He says, I persecuted the church. I was advancing in Judaism. I was all of these things. And, and that's true, that when, when we are the subject of the verbs of our life, that it's going to turn into fake news eventually, because that's, that human beings, we're flawed, we have problems, we, we don't see everything perfectly. We, we end up in a place like Paul, where we're going down this, this destructive path, following a false religion. But then this hinge in verse 15, where God becomes the subject of the verbs, that God set me apart before I was born, that God called me by his grace, that God was pleased to reveal his son to me, that God sent me to preach. And because when God is the, is the subject of, of all of the action, then we know that it's true. We know that it's reliable. We know that it's something that we can trust. And so just for uh, concluding today, let's just hone in on verse 15. Um, again, that was the, the verse I said that, we, that you could... A diagram when you go home. But we'll, let's just quickly go phrase by phrase through verse 15. So he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, that, that, is, that is ultimately how our spiritual life begins. It doesn't begin with our, our good works. It doesn't begin with being on the right track. That our, our spiritual life and our spiritual walk begins before the foundation of the world. And that the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And so this is a a great comfort for us, that, that God, he knew us, he loved us, he had a purpose for us before we knew and even had a purpose for ourselves. But then look at the next phrase in verse 15. He says, But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. So when God sets us apart before the foundation of the world, then there's also a time in in our lives where he actually calls us. And he calls us not because he's looking at some good thing that we've done. He's not saying, oh, well, you, you really are going to church a lot, or you're reading your Bible a lot, or you're doing really good things. I'm going to call you. But, but he calls us by his grace. It's, it's a gift. And, and that, that call, it, if it comes to you today, if you are a believer, then you have been called by God. And it wasn't when you were on the right track, but it's when you were going to persecute Christians, when you're raging against God, when you have nothing to do with him. And so if you're here today and, and that's you and you're saying, maybe you're not persecuting Christians, hopefully not, uh, but if you are, are raging against God, or if you're saying, I don't want anything to do with God, then you, then you have, actually have to be really careful because God has this pattern of calling and using people like that to do really incredible things for his kingdom, just like he called Paul. But then look again at verse 15, the next phrase. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. 
And so God's purpose in knowing us before the foundation of the world and calling us by his grace is ultimately to introduce us to Jesus Christ, to, to introduce us to who he is, what he has done, what he has accomplished for us on the cross, and, and the difference that that makes. And that's what it actually means to be a Christian, that a Christian is somebody who, who God has revealed the beauty of Christ, that, that somebody where we begin to see the beauty of Christ's perfect life that we couldn't live ourselves, the beauty of Christ's sacrificial death in our place, the beauty of the fact that we do nothing for our salvation, but he does absolutely everything, and then all we do is admit that we can't do it and trust completely and utterly in him. But then look at that final phrase in, in verse 15. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And so, so God's purpose in setting us apart and calling us and revealing his son to us is that we, we go and we proclaim him among the nations. That was Paul's purpose to say, look at how beautiful, how amazing Jesus is. And, and, and he can do that with great boldness because it's not a human message. It doesn't, it's not unreliable in a way that a human message is. But it's a message that, that, is, that is truthful, is real, because it's from God. It's directly from Jesus Christ about Jesus Christ. And so this is your purpose. This is my purpose. This is Hope Church's purpose. And we can be so thankful that, that this message is from God because it doesn't have all of the weakness, all the frailty that, that even the best human message has. And so we can, we can rely on it in, in life and in death. We can rely on it for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, forsaking all other messages. That we can rely on this when things are good, when they're bad. And ultimately, we can trust it because of these nitty-gritty details. Because we can trust Paul, we can also trust that his message is not from man, but from Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And, you, and we see then another one of these pictures of, of the truth of the, of the gospel here in the, in the Lord's Supper. Because as we, as we think about the, is something that, that's fake, that, that isn't real, um, we, we, we look here and we say, no, this, this is real. This is something we can touch. We can taste it when they can go into our body and actually feed us and, and strengthen us. And we don't see that happening spiritually, but it's actually more real. That, that if, if you're a believer and you, and you take this meal today, this is actually the, it's going to become part of your body as your body digests and, and everything. And that's, that's this picture of, of what God does for us spiritually, truly and really spiritually to strengthen us in his son and it's his work and it's not our work because on the night that he was betrayed our lord took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way after supper he took the cup and said this cup is is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.